take just a quick step back and answer the question, why a covenant? Why have we, why have we structured our commitment to one another in the language of a covenant? So it's going to be an important aspect this evening that we're going to cover that will be hopefully for your consideration as you walk out the doors this evening. You can have a strong appreciation not just for words on a website, words on a piece of paper, but rather you can have an appreciation for a covenant with a group of individuals. Couples, families. So why the covenant? Many churches, if you have been a member of another ministry in the past, many churches have simply chosen to structure this topic in terms of church membership, right? Right? Liberty Hills Bible Church, we, we call it covenant membership. Others would simply just describe it as simple church membership. There's an acknowledgement of an agreement by way of the statement of faith. There's a doctrinal alignment that is represented by that individual or family or couple. There could be maybe some other prerequisites of some season of attendance or a service commitment that needs to be Fulfilled as a prerequisite for joining in church membership with that particular ministry. There may even be a vote. Hopefully you pass. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Have you seen it practiced that way? Nothing wrong with that, certainly. Uh, we have liberty in that area to uh, practice church membership or covenant membership and uh, the way that that ministry may see is best and most biblical. Uh, But as we look at scripture, we think there's an intentional opportunity for us to view our relationship with God and our relationship with others in the context of the local church via a covenant. Again, we've chosen to express that relationship to this church by using this language of covenant. So our goal is simply this evening to understand in a more meaningful way why we have chosen the mechanism of a covenant and what that means for us in a practical sense as we desire to honor the Lord and maximize His glory in and through our lives corporately to maximize the glory of God in the midst of a neighborhood and a community To be that city that is set on a hill, that light that can't be hidden, right? This is our desire, a biblical one. So our prayer, our hope is that as you walk out this building this evening, that we would be encouraged, enriched, and challenged in regards to a covenant and what that means for our lives and how we relate to God and others. Our hope is that as we go through this message this evening, this exercise of looking into this concept of covenant in a biblical sense, that um, that we would see a new appreciation for the church 
Why? Because the church, the body of Christ is the bride of Christ. I don't know about you married men here, but you have a pretty high view of your wife. Just as Christ gave himself up for her, literally giving of his life, shedding of his blood, laying down his life for this bride. I wonder, do we view the church, the bride of Christ, in a similar importance in our everyday life? We, the church, collectively are part of this bride. I believe there's a challenge for us in the day that we live that relates to this whole topic of church membership. And the challenge is this, we've simply lost our understanding of individual relationship in terms of a covenant commitment to the body of Christ. As you consider maybe your past engagements, your current engagements, as you observe others in the past, or you've seen people come and go, we live in a keep the church at arm's length type of culture. We live in the age of transient church membership. Or we could just go here, go there, and hey, what's the big deal? We're all believers, right? We traded the biblical analogy of the body and ligaments and being fitly joined together for the convenience of a three-pronged electrical cord that can simply be unplugged at any passing whim that may come into our mind or our heart. The new shiny coin in the town. This church has this program or this church will meet this felt need. Those things aren't always bad, but friends, are they a reason to leave a church? To literally amputate yourself from a body? The Bible would contend that no, it is not that easy, nor should it be as easy as unplugging an extension cord and plugging into somewhere else. As Americans, as a whole, in our society, we are non-committal. We engage in an activity or in a relationship or in a situation only until it's what? Inconvenience. And then, hey, I'm out. Getting true American and good American, we always want to keep our options open, right? It's a dating type of mindset. I'll continue to engage in this relationship, but if something better, something more attractive, something more interesting or popular comes around, I can and likely will pull the plug. Friends, I know for many of us this evening, I'm preaching to the choir. You understand church membership and covenant membership here at Liberty Hills to be much more than what I've just summarized, but we're not careful. The mindset of Western culture and American Christianity, it can and will slip into our pews and into our hearts and our minds. And over time, it can and will dilute our appreciation and understanding of covenant membership. So let us be aware 
Let us be on guard for the thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And let us be covenant guarders and protectors of this relationship with God and with each other. So this is the call this evening for us to understand this covenant relationship. The bride of Christ in potentially a new or a fresh and renewed way. Many of you here this evening are saying, hey, Eric, I'm I'm here. Even on a Saturday evening, I'm here, aren't I? It's about as inconvenient of a meeting time as we can have. We understand that. So you guys get it. We're thankful you're here. I'm thankful that I can look out and see faces and see responses and see the Lord work in our heart and life through the preaching of God's word. But... Is covenant membership about mere physical attendance or or presence, or does it speak to something more? I'll contend this evening that it does, and this brings us to the big idea of this evening's message. It's this, because God has expressed his redemptive plan throughout history via the language of covenants, we can and should understand our relationship to the church and to one another in the same way. One more time for those of you that are taking notes, because God has expressed his redemptive plan throughout history via the language of covenants, we can and should understand our relationship to the church and to one another in the same way. So we're just going to look at three questions this evening that will hope shed some additional light on the importance of covenant in regards to covenant membership. The first question we're going to discover or unpack is simply this. What is a biblical covenant? Now, if you remember back into our series through Genesis, we spoke of covenants often. And I believe uh, Pastor Dave even took one or even a couple weeks to just simply park on this idea of covenant and, and kind of trace that out throughout scripture. I'm not going to do that this evening for sake of time. It is a beautiful study. Uh, we can and should do that uh, at some point in the days ahead. If that will not happen tonight. It's absolutely impossible for that to take place in, in one message. However, what we will attempt to do is just simply give us an understanding of what is a covenant as we understand some high-level concepts concerning biblical covenants throughout both the Old and New Testaments. R.C. Sproul reminds us that a proper understanding of covenant is integral, it's foundational, it's basic to the whole scope of divine revelation. We could even say that the way God reveals His Word and His plan to us It's through the structure of covenants. So as we work through this series concerning our church covenant, I hope that you'll just grow in your love and appreciation for it. It certainly does never replace scripture. But our stated goal from the onset of this series was simply for us to highlight and tick and tie back to scripture what our covenant is. States. So as we look at the whole of Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, we see God doing what? Choosing 
to relate to mankind through a covenant. This is the most glorious truth in all of scripture. This is the but God, right, of Ephesians that we have looked at often in our time. Divine intervention, despite our sin, our rebellion, and our falling away, God has sought us out. He has initiated a relationship with God. He desires to save a remnant. Despite the horrible curse of sin, he is seeking to save the lost. Amen? Mm-hmm. So as we attempt to provide a solid understanding of covenant language, and we attempt by God's grace to tie this back in a practical way, that's my hope, is that this won't just be a teaching time about covenants. Be mindful of our time. We're going to have some good A&I interaction, but I hope as I work through this content, that there will be a practical nature to it. That you can see yourself in light of covenant, in light of a remnant, in God's saving grace, and the beauty of God's providence of bringing us all together here at Liberty Hills Bible Church that we have the privilege and the honor to be the church, the bride of Christ, in the north land of the Kansas City metro. I mean, that, that's just incredible that we come from all different places. God has brought us all together. Our desire is to tie this back in a practical way. How? So we can live out the gospel in the context of Christian community. That's what ultimately this covenant is going to drive us to. It's what it produces, this Christian Community. So throughout scripture, we will observe multiple covenants, and most can be summarized in one statement. We see this in, in multiple places, both in the Old and New Testament. We see it in Exodus 6, 2 Corinthians 6, Ezekiel 11, Revelation 21. I'll let you do some homework on that, but it's this statement in all of these passages that summarizes the idea of a covenant. God says this, I will be your God. And you will be my people, and I will dwell with you. Glorious. Glorious. God, despite my sin and rebellion, would seek me out, would seek us out, and say, I will be your God. The creator of all things has sought me out and said, I will be your God, and and you will be my people, and I will dwell among you. This is the most basic structure of of a covenant. And scholars have gone on to define a covenant based on the translations of the the Hebrew word barith and the Greek word uh, diathiki, right? And it goes on in the most basic sense. A covenant is this. It's an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. That in essence is this. An oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. So in the biblical sense, we have an oath or a commitment initiated by whom? By God. With various peoples throughout history and people groups. This oath, it's a promise, it's a commitment. 
Friends, the beautiful thing about this commitment and biblical covenants is that it is God who establishes them. And these covenants are based on not our sin nature, not our inconsistencies or our inadequacies. These covenants are based on the perfect character of a holy and good God. And so the confidence that we can have in these And these covenants is based on God's track record. Thank goodness. It is God's track record. And friends, he is undefeated. And he is perfect in keeping his covenant promises. You remember back to your Genesis series, you probably were tired of hearing us say, God is always faithful to keep his covenant promises. Are you having PTSD right now? <laughs> right? Are you getting the flashbacks to those that statement over and over again as we worked through the different covenants? Abrahamic, Noahic, Mosaic, all the different covenants that we saw in Genesis. We said over and over again, God will always be faithful to keep his covenant promises. Why? Because they are based on his Character, He can do nothing but keep his promises. So when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. I will be your God. You will be my people and I will dwell among you. God's presence is the promise of biblical covenant. So friends, understanding this basic principle of what is a covenant can and should have a substantial impact on how we view God, how we view others, and how we in our day within the church age relate to the local gathering of believers. So what is a biblical covenant? It's an oath initiated by God with various peoples or people groups. This brings us to our second aspect of covenants, the second question that we will attempt to just shed some some basic understanding on here. The question is this, how have covenants been used in Scripture? The first point we want to look at is that all biblical covenants are pointing forward to grace. All biblical covenants are pointing to grace. You could even say this, that all biblical covenants could fall under a broader umbrella of the covenant of grace. What do I mean by that? When we look at scripture and we see these covenants initiated by God with creation and more specifically with mankind, such as Noah in Genesis 6, Abraham in Genesis 15, 16 and 17, David in 2 Samuel 7, Moses with the Israelites in Exodus 19 and and Many chapters beyond that, even as we look at this new covenant established by Jesus in Hebrews 8 and 9, all of them point to grace. All of them point to grace. In what way? All these covenants would be initiated what post-fall Adam and Eve chose their way. They rebelled. They disobeyed God's one commandment. Sin entered into the world. There was a curse. There were consequences 
for that sin, right? Friends, was the last time you thought on this reality that God did not need to pursue a remnant at that point? He did not owe it to mankind to pursue a remnant. Whereas grace and covenant is this, it's only in his good pleasure and only by his grace that he sought out this remnant. He pursued He initiated a relationship with mankind. This is grace. It's the most beautiful sense. There was nothing that we deserved in this covenant relationship. God chose. God initiated. So all covenants fall under this broader umbrella of a covenant of grace. Why? Because all biblical covenants point to grace. Another aspect of these biblical covenants as far as how they were used in Scripture, we often see in Scripture that they were accompanied by a sign, right? We've looked at that in the past through other teaching in regards to covenants. The the, the sign of the covenant promise to Adam and Eve was what? A, A seed, a son in Genesis 3, 15. The sign of the covenant promise of Uh, to Noah was a rainbow. The sign of the covenant promise to Abraham was circumcision. The sign of the covenant promise to Moses was the Sabbath. The sign of the covenant promise of atonement for sin was the Passover. The sign of the covenant promise to David was an eternal throne. The signs of the covenant promise to the church are the ordinances of water baptism and the Lord's table of communion. So as each and every elder has noted to this point in our series, there is no explicit command in Scripture to join a church. Are we okay with that? Why are we taking so much time to go through this? If it's something that's not explicitly stated, thou shalt join a church. But as it has been pointed out already, we do see implicitly throughout Scripture that followers of Christ absolutely and without exception exercise their faith in Christ in the context of a local gathering of believers. No exceptions to this reality. They were committed to one another in a unique way that had not been yet seen or heard of in, uh, in, in any historical account to date. There's no question about the beauty and intentionality of the local church. If you claimed to know Jesus and have been saved by his grace, you were joined together with other believers. It was encouraged throughout Scripture, there was no exception in Scripture, and it has been expressed consistently throughout Christendom, generation after generation, the importance of relating to a church, significant relationship, covenant relationship. Friends, I hope we'll come away with the understanding that this was that this is and will always be God's plan for his called out remnant.
join with a local body. The gospel first points us to the cross. It points us then to an empty tomb, and then it quickly leads us to others who have been radically changed by this message that Jesus saves. This is the pattern. This is the model. This is God's perfect plan. Friends, as the Holy Spirit begins to providentially unite brothers and sisters together in the context of the local church, there is a commitment that is expressed in Scripture to one another. And just as other biblical covenants were accompanied by a sign to demonstrate the reality of that covenant, we also see a sign that is produced as the church rightly relates to one another. I don't want to park on this too long because we're going to, there's a phrase that in our covenant that, that we're going to anchor in on this in the days ahead. But what is the sign of our covenant to one another? What is it? It is love. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jumping down to verse 11 in Ephesians 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking truth in how love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. This is the sign or covenant to one another that heralds the gospel to a lost world that looks on to our engagements with one another, that looks on and how we relate to one another. They should see love. So how have covenants been used in Scripture? They played a vital role in the history of redemption to instruct the people of God and how they should live, how they should worship this God that has initiated this covenant relationship with them. Excuse me, covenants also do what? They expose the problem of our sin. They expose the problem of our sin and our need for a savior. And finally, the covenants put on display the immeasurable grace of God as he initiates a relationship with mankind. It's one other aspect of how covenants have been used in Scripture that I 
want to point our attention to. There's a phrase in Deuteronomy as well as in Exodus that brings out this concept of a covenant in, in a very unique and I believe special nuance of covenant. For the sake of time, I'm just going to read the Exodus account in chapter number 19, verses 3 through 6. It says this, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be what my treasured possession among all peoples and for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I love that phrase, a treasured possession. This is what God has done in this covenant that he has initiated and established and maintained the covenant relationship that he will persevere to the end. It is that we would be his treasured possession. This is the Lord's view of his people, a treasured, a treasured possession. Third and final question that we're going to explore this evening is how does this relate to membership in a local church? How does covenant relate to membership in a local church? Let's take that phrase, the treasured possession, and let's answer the question, how does this treasured possession relate to me? in my membership to the local body. I believe there are many aspects that we could bring out and highlight here, but I'm going to just point out two primary ways this evening. First, understanding that we are a treasured possession, rightly understanding covenant in terms of membership in the local church. How should this change me? How should this impact me? First, I think it should change how we think about others in our local body. It should change how we think about others in our local body. What do I mean by that? It might sound like an odd statement. You say, Eric, what do you mean? I mean, I don't hate anybody here. I don't dislike anybody here. What, what, what do you mean it should change how I think about others in our local church. If God views his people as a treasured possession, if Christ Jesus loved his bride so much in Ephesians 5 that he gave himself up for her, should not those realities change how I think about those in this local gathering that God has providentially brought into my life? Should I not view every single person here this evening 
and that regularly gathers with us in the context of the local church and that is joined with us in covenant relationship, should I not view them as a treasured possession, a means of grace that God has providentially brought into my life to get through this thing called life. To exercise all the one another in passages that Pastor Dave reminded us of last week. If God views this remnant as treasured, if Christ poured out his life for this bride, the church, that should impact how I think about this church as well. Who am I to hold a grudge when Christ offers forgiveness? Who am I to selectively engage in relationship when Christ is a friend that sticks closer than a brother? (coughs) Who am I to leap on coals of condemnation when Christ says, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ? Christ is our example. God the Father is our example. And the Holy Spirit can and will empower us to do what? To love one another earnestly, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's inconvenient. God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ working in our midst, He will give us the ability to love one another, even when it feels unnatural, when I have nothing in common. When there's generational gaps, when there's different backgrounds, different situations, different joys, different hobbies, different races, whatever it might be, God and the Holy Spirit can empower us to love and appreciate and treasure each and every relationship when we view it through the context and the lens of covenant. We look the eyes of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the groom. We see the eyes of Christ as he looks at his treasured bride down the aisle. He has pursued her. He has loved her. He has purchased her with his own blood. This is the new covenant. This is Christ and his bride. I'm going to ask you the question this evening. How do you think about the church? How do you think about our church? How do you think, even more specifically, the people within Liberty Hills Bible Church? Remembering that the individuals that make up this body, they're not just anybody. They are part of the bride of Christ. Be fallen into the trap of wishing the bride was the brunette instead of the blonde, a little taller, a little shorter, a little better personality, more athletic, a better cook. Get where I'm going with that. Christ loved this church came to seek and to save the lost. That's ultimately all the church is. 
bunch of lost sheep that the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, went and found. Do you think of God's people in this church in the way that God does? A treasured possession, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it gives us an insight into God's thought and intention toward his people. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the beauty of covenants. This is the beauty of the local church. God has done this work. Friends, for sake of time, I'm I'm not going to dive into Hebrews 9, but I am going to leave us with 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, just four verses. We'll bring our message to a a conclusion here this evening. 2 Corinthians 1, with the words of Christ resonate in your heart and your mind as you consider your heart your disposition, your demeanor towards the bride of Christ that's present here within the context of our local gathering at Liberty Hills Bible Church. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is why God has given us one another, to receive comfort, to offer comfort, for us to all be reconciled to God, for us to stand firm side by side for the faith of the gospel, Philippians 1.27. This is his plan. This is his intention towards the bride of Christ. As we consider the covenant language of scripture, we reflect on our own covenant language with one another. Leave you with the big idea of the sermon this evening because God has expressed his redemptive plan throughout history via the language of covenants. We can and should understand our relationship to the church and to one another in the same way. Would you join me in prayer as we close? Father God, we thank you this evening for the word. We thank you for the beauty of covenant. We thank you that you have given us this structure, this pattern. We thank you for your grace in and through these covenants that generation after generation you have sought out a people 
You have chosen to be in relationship with mankind despite our sin. I thank you for your grace. It is so clear in Scripture. Father, I pray as a result of these realities of covenant that we would understand our relationship with you in a new way, that we would understand our relationship with others and our engagement with others potentially in a new way as a result of reflecting on and remembering what you have done through the history of mankind in biblical covenants. Pray, Father, that we would not be the forgetful here this evening. I pray that you would help us to have fruitful and helpful conversation as we desire to apply your word to our lives for your glory. We pray these things in your precious name we pray. Amen.